get me. From Studio A in Arcata, behind the Redwood Curtain, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcast. And also interviews with comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And now, here's this episode's host from up the coast, the man who puts the X in Xbox and the tie on antisocial, comedy soundcast soundcaster, Tyson Saner. Saner. Insaner. Saluto and estes me, Tyson Saner. I am your host for this first Succotash episode of November 2021. It's number 277. Welcome to it. How was your Halloween? Mine hasn't happened yet, technically, but it will have had by the time you hear this, so who knows? Will I remember to follow up on it to let you know how it went? Will I tweet about it? How far into the future are you? Does Twitter still exist? Does the internet still exist? How about the iPod? Did it make a comeback? Well, even if it does, I imagine this show will still refer to podcasts as soundcasts, and that's fine by me. Last week on Epi 276, show creator and executive producer Mark Hershon brought you a quartet of clips from the likes of Mike and Tom Eat Snacks, O'Brien and Bolt The Podcasts, The Dana Gould Hour, and The Projection Booth. It's an episode full of entertainment, and I urge you to check it out at your earliest convenience. This week, I've selected three clips for your listening pleasure. They are from the soundcast known as Half Hour Happy Hour Ladies Night with Allison and Maud and Tom. That's all one name. Saturday Night Live After Party and Anxiety Bites. There's also a classic Henderson's Pants advert for you to enjoy or process however you choose to, really. It's a fun ad from our longtime fake sponsor. Can you believe this show has survived for 10 years without actual sponsorship? Well, it has. Let's get to the clips. First up, Half Hour Happy Hour, Ladies Night with Allison and Maud and Tom. And Tom, by the way, is an ampersand and the name Tom in parentheses at the end of all of that. This is from Starburns Audio. Its description says, Each week, Allison Hayslip and Maud Garrett, and then again, and Tom, sit down for a half hour of happy hour. Drinks are drank, and conversations are had covering stories both important and useless. Sit, relax, and knock back a glass of your favorite adult beverage while you laugh with or at them for the next 30-ish minutes. So the clip I've selected is from a show from October 7th, 2021, and it's called VHS Clamshells from the Vault. Its episode description says, The gang issues back together for more libations and to catch up. So this episode, I should point out, has a returning host Alex Albrecht in the mix, and I've chosen a clip that has to do with the titular VHS clamshells from the vault. Before we go into sort of a different show, I want to keep on track with the Star Wars question only because this is a franchise that's been going on for decades. And I think a way to keep it refreshed uh, and like recycled in a way, um, and they're doing it well in TV shows, but not in movies because they're doing the fucking same shit in the movies. But they're flipping the genre, and I think that's why Visions is so clever because it's saying, you know, Star Wars is really through one specific perspective. Let's mm. enhance and share that perspective and, you know, tell it through their culture or, you know, the way that they express their art, and I thought that's really cool. But because you brought up Mandalorian, that's what they're doing uh, to kind of like flip and expand Star Wars. They're changing the genre. And with Mandalorian, it's like it's a it's a 
Western show. Yeah, it's all like of a sudden. spaghetti Western, yeah. 100%. And then you're like, yes, it takes place. We're not focusing on Jedi powers. We're focusing on this particular part around this particular character, but it's in a different genre. And I think that when they do that, it's really it's really cool. That's yeah. It. That's my my two thoughts on it. Yeah, and they're, <laughs> they're doing it well. I'm just, to be honest, I just can't wait for them to do a 4K release of... Uh, of the unedited theatrical version of the, the 77 movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, it, you know, Lucas was like, never, I would never, you know what I mean? But he doesn't own the company anymore. So hopefully, hopefully someone, <laughs> hopefully someone at Disney will be like, ah, well, maybe Greedo. I mean, you, know, you know, Disney did the thing with those, um, with all of their, uh, VHS tapes. Those, you remember they made yeah. those VHS tapes with the hard, but they were like, cushy covers and things like that mm-hmm. um they would only release them ev- once every few years so you couldn't always go out and buy bambi you couldn't always go out and buy sleeping beauty they would they would wait specific years to release them and you know that the person who thought of that is definitely like we need to release unedited star wars just do it on a cycle do it where like you can only see it for a specific period of time and then it doesn't exist anywhere for however long yeah, yeah, and those puffy covers, Allison, since I used to work in a video store, are called clamshells. Now you know oh, something. You learned yes. the puffy covers. Yeah, they'd release them every few yeah. years to to increase demand. Like yeah, like you just said, Dumbo oh, wow. be sold they for years. They get released from the Disney movie. vault. That's how they would yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I actually have in my uh, well garage now because we're we're moving stuff around. But I have Aladdin in the clamshell, uh-huh. Lion King in the clamshell. And something else in the cl- oh, Little Mermaid in the clamshell. They're the best. That was like that was, that the, was, like, in the, that was the Swiss ninety. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast as well. I want to put it in as four. This four. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I Beauty and the Beast. What? How, what? What is your take on these like updates of these animated movies into live action? I've I've oh, not. I'm so glad you asked. I'm I've not seen <laughs> any of them because I just feel like I just watched the original car- animated version. But yeah. I never saw Aladdin. Uh, I saw Milan. I like Milan, but I'm only specifically going to talk about uh, Beauty and the Beast because I have thought. Yes, on that's it. why I thought about they it. They <laughs> needed to be the whole premise of the movie needed to share the same tone. There were two separate parts mm. of people doing two different movies. So you had Emma Watson, who was fucking beige. She was very safe. Mm. She was very contained. But then you had Luke Evans and uh, Josh Gad who yeah. were incredibly camp and like they they did the movie that I wanted to see where yes. they were so into it where it was incredibly camp and over the top and like but they were into it whereas mm. Emma Watson was just like I'm not getting paid enough or something and you're like <laughs> well, why are you doing it you don't want to be there Hmm. It seemed like she didn't want to be there. But yeah. Luke Evans and Josh Gad were having the time of their lives. So yeah. I think that inconsistency for the live action, it's like this is a Disney movie. You are not safe. You are over the top and you are indulgent. So yeah. yes. that was my two cents for that. Yeah. But then hmm. Mulan was completely different as well where it was like they were telling a serious movie. They cut out all musical numbers. There was no Mushu the Dragon. And they oh, wanted wow. to tell an incredibly serious sort of like tale no about war. No, they didn't want to make it like kiddish at all. They really focused on it being sort of like no. a war adult movie. Yeah, so that's kind of cool as well. Hmm. We got we got a, um, some more super chats coming in though, which is pretty Sweet. cool. Brad's back. Ooh, Cheers, Brad. Oh. <laughs> Brad. 
Is anybody yeah, watching yeah. Why the Last Man? Thoughts mm. other than Dan should have directed <laughs> In the capable hands of Dan, it would have been. I, I don't understand that. You'll have to explain it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So I used to do a show called The Totally Rad Show, uh, which oh, yes. was me and my two knucklehead friends talking about movies, video games, comic books, TV, all sorts of stuff. And one of those two knuckleheads is a guy named Dan Trachtenberg, who was a director yes. at the time and now has I think become, I've interviewed him for become Dan Trachtenberg. Yeah, he did 10 yeah. Field Lane. He did mm-hmm. The Boys Pilot, which was super fun. Um, he was Going to potentially direct a Why the Last Man movie, I believe. So you can find the show on Twitter at Half Hour Happy Her. That is capital H A L F, capital H O U R, capital H A P P Y, capital H R. Allison Hayslip can be found at all lowercase A L I S O N H I L S L I P. Maud Garrett can be found at all lowercase M A U D E G A R R E T T. And Tom Krajewski can be found at all lowercase T-O-M-R-A-J-E-W-S-K-I. And, of course, returning host Alex Albrecht can be found at all lowercase A-L-E-X-A-L-B-R-E-C-H-T. And the show's main website appears to be at Starburns Audio. Next up tonight, a show called Saturday Night Live After Party. And is credited as being from John Murray and Spry FM. Its show description says a Peabody Award coveting podcast review of SNL featuring intimate, probing, aggressive yet tender conversations with fresh, young, supple voices from across the comedy landscape. Clip is from an episode from October 4th, 2021, featuring a recap of the show hosted by Owen Wilson with musical guest Casey Musgraves. Uh, For those of you keeping track, that is season 47, episode 1. And the description further says, Enjoy this full-length, supporter-only version of our discussion of the Owen Wilson-hosted October 2nd, 2021, Season 47, season premiere of Saturday Night Live with musical guest Casey Musgraves. So, basically what I just said. (laughs) All right. In the monologue, Owen Wilson encourages us to just close our eyes and dream. While he does, I don't know, maybe a great show. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, John, how are you landing on the monologue? Well, he came out with all the energy of a golden retriever sleeping by a campfire. What was it? What was the the line? Uh, the fireplace. By a fireplace. By a fireplace. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he he didn't rope me in right from the get go. Like I, I feel like there was a a lot of sort of very easy, simple, um, pandering material. Like, yeah, there's my brothers and. <laughs> But by the end of it, when he started just leaning into who he is and just kind of expressing that um, with his offhand remarks, um, you know, about stepping into um, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's uh, boots, you know, when he retired and having to, that motivating him to go do Cars 4 or whatever. I think from about there on, I was really enjoying it. By the end of it, he was so fully in like lackadaisical slacker mode that I, I, I like genuinely believed him when he said he didn't know. It was going to be a good show, but he just wants everyone to dream. Um, that I thought worked. I, I thought I thought it got there, and I was having fun with them, even though I, I felt it was a little little tepid out of the gate. Okay, well, uh, you know that's interesting because the things you weren't feeling were sort of the things that I liked about it, actually. Uh, okay. So, like the the story about about his dad, actually, I found really charming. I I, I liked that a lot. I thought they weaved a nice <laughs> little story together there for him, you know, from 
from the dad to the reviews and all that. Um, okay. And, right. you know, he seemed really comfortable and in command. I thought Owen had great timing. Um, he, he left me feeling good and confident for the episode to come. And that's really the best thing I can say about a monologue. Uh, Steve, did you think it was a winner? Yeah, I, I did think it was a winner. Not really uh, something to surprise you with. Anybody who follows Owen Wilson's career is going to agree with the laid back persona bit. And yeah, I thought some of his self-deprecating humor was the best way to go. And even like comparing himself to his brothers and, and uh, you know, how he went to so many colleges and things like that. It was just playing into how we already take Owen in. So uh, I think that's the best thing to do with someone who's just had such a long career is to, you know, just extend that persona into the jokes we know the guy. Let's uh, let's relate it to that. All right, so so a little bit more mixed on the monologue, but let's get into our sketches. The hosts of the talking get their COVID test results live on air, <laughs> and um, this is apparently a parody of something that actually happened on the View recently. And okay. weirdly, I have to say, I think I like this sketch more before learning that. Mm. Um, because at first I was I just thought this is fun and a little random with you know good depictions of the types of people on these shows, right? Um right. but once I found out about that, I just had a lot of questions, mainly like why <laughs> didn't they just do the view? Like we know they right. have the view set, they've done the view mm-hmm. before. Um so I found that a little head scratching. But that said, it is fun and I, I do I did really like how they chose to heighten it by having the doctor try to be like more discreet about it. Like I thought that was really creative. Um and I loved the justification of the HIPAA rule being we have to tell nobody or everybody. Um right. that was that's really fun. Um so so yeah, I was I was pretty warm on it live, but on the rewatch had some questions. Sure. Steve, where did you land on it? Well, yeah, I you're filling me in on the whole backstory here uh, uh, as we speak. So up until now, I was looking at it as, hey, this is like if The View was produced by Willy Wonka. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just had fun with the chaotic uh, tennis match of of topics and, and uh, uh, harsh words <laughs> for, uh, between certain co-hosts. <laughs> You have a lot of debt. You have a lot of debt. You have a lot of debt. You know, Cecily in 80 was probably my favorite bit. Uh, Slightly reminded me of the old Sarah Michelle Gellar episode uh, where she played Will Ferrell's daughter in a sketch. And uh, there was a lot of repeating uh, uh, arguments. But uh, yeah, it was it was a fun sketch overall. John, any closing thoughts? I don't have anything brilliant to say. I, I had seen the view clip where they take the two of them them off live on air and that that raises a lot of questions in and of itself so i can see that being a good starting point for the the sketch the sketch obviously goes in its own direction i don't know why they didn't do the view either um so uh, i i think there were good jokes here but i don't think this was an exceptional opener like i had fun with it but mm-hmm. um i don't know it, it just it just didn't seem potent enough for what i would have wanted from an opener or it, it just uh, i don't know it it didn't leave me fully satisfied, but I did enjoy the idea of them goofing on how utterly um, unnecessary it would ever be to, you know, pull people live off air over a COVID test that that obviously that's that's ridiculous in reality. So where do you go from there? Um, and so, you know, for the doctor to be even more invasive and, and all the rest of it. Um, 
there, there's it's something like you're already there. all exposed to each other at this point. So. <laughs> exactly. Right. So there, there's something there. And uh, it, it's great that they they went for it. I just I, I don't know. I would have liked to see it go even further or just there was like I said, there's something unsatisfying about it. But what they did was still fun and amusing. So I don't know. Moderate thumbs up, I guess, for me. So it was a little bit challenging finding the people who are part of this episode. Uh, the SNL podcast, that is SNLPODCAST.com, and you can find lots of information on them. Uh, you can find information by putting forward slash and participate for people who participate, apparently, in most of the episodes. But in order for me to write down the people who participated in this particular episode, I had to do a little digging. Uh, Catherine Coleman is the host the voice that you're hearing and she is on twitter at katherine funny that is all lowercase k-a-t-h-e-r-i-n-e-f-u-n-n-y her name does not appear on the website nor does it appear on the snl podcast uh twitter account which is at all lowercase s-n-l-p-o-d-c-a-s-t uh steve finn does not appear on twitter however if you do go to that website link uh apparently says he's the host of something called Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. And apparently he's also an award-winning improv coach and filmmaker, as well as the former drummer for Toronto-based rock band Another City. So there are links for both of those things on the, on the website. Um, and then John Murray uh, is also not on Twitter that I can see, but... Uh, he is an internet content producer, it says, and a co-founder of something called Spry, which is a digital marketing agency in Windsor, Ontario. And Spry is on Twitter at all lowercase S-P-R-Y-A-G-N-C-Y. And, of course, you can find all this information at snlpodcast.com. Oh, la, 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 la. Another innocent pedestrian. Another inattentive driver. Another senseless death on another crowded city street. Looks like someone wasn't wearing his Henderson's pedestrian pants. The only pants that tell oncoming traffic, please don't hit me. Hello, friends. Bill Haywatt here. And if you're like me, you've probably realized that the simple act of trying to walk from point A to point B in downtown America has become a little like going ten rounds with Mike Tyson. Chances are you're eventually going to get hit. And why wouldn't you? With so many drivers using their valuable time behind the wheel to shave, eat lunch, or check in with their good friends on social media, who in the heck has time to watch where they're going? Going anymore. <laughs> Not me. And that's why Henderson's has come to the rescue. With pants so iridescently bright, they instantly turn a potentially deadly intersection into a cone zone crosswalk of a discriminating fashion runway. With Henderson's pedestrian pants, even folks who are asleep at the wheel or vying for their city's DUI record will see you coming from blocks away with colors like radioactive isotope green, volcanic pumpkin vomit orange, and bladder infection yellow. But stylish color options are only part of the magic of Henderson's pedestrian pants. Built into the protective heat-resistant lining of these beauties are over 10,000 watts of flexible Kleeglite strips that will illuminate your legs like a Broadway marquee. Nothing says, see me coming like a pair of Henderson's pedestrian pants. Originally designed for the Rockettes of Radio City Music Hall, 
dirt track race car drivers, and power-walking narcissists with a taste for the bizarre, Henderson's Pedestrian Pants are available at your local all-occasion security barn and wherever used traffic flares are sold. That's Henderson's, makers of potentially life-saving outerwear since 1911. And now back to Suckatash. Yes, thank you, Bill Haywatt. That was maybe a bit of a random choice on my part, but, I mean, does it matter, really? Finally tonight, Anxiety Bites from iHeartRadio. Its description says, Comedian Jen Kirkman, who has had lifelong panic and generalized anxiety disorder, brings her life lessons, humor, and hope to a show that's about normalizing having anxiety so that we go from whispering dramatically, I have anxiety, to saying out loud with a shrug, yeah, I have anxiety. Jen will interview experts with anxiety, be they PhDs, creatives, or spiritual gurus, for advice on how to self-diagnose, begin to treat, and how to live easily with everyday anxiety and panic, and at the very least, giving an interesting, relatable, calming listen. It's a great idea. I I suffer from anxiety, as uh, some of you may already know. Most of you probably don't. And it probably doesn't matter to you, because why would it? So the clip is from the first episode. It's from October 6th, 2021. The episode is called Anxiety is Old Habit, and the episode description says, Jen talks to New York Times bestselling author, MD, PhD, Dr. Judd Brewer, and finds out how our fingers can help us during a panic attack, Sometimes neuroscience puts out the fire of anxiety better than therapy. And why the hell haven't our brains evolved beyond thinking we're in danger when we're not? Excellent question. I'm going to ask you, what is your past relationship to anxiety and what's your current relationship to anxiety today? I'd be happy to (laughs) to explore my relationship with anxiety. You know, it started way back in the day. Uh, Actually, I didn't even know I had anxiety in college. I remember uh, having, let's just say some GI issues. You know, I talk a little bit about this at the end of my book. And I thought, you know, your new book on winding yes, anxiety, yes, is that right? in that book. Yes. And I, you know, done a bunch of backpacking in college and was also, you know, always concerned about, you know, getting bacterial infections from not, you know, carefully uh, filtering my water. And so my senior year, I remember going to the student health uh, and, and the doctor there, you know, these GI issues. And he said, oh, could you be stressed out? And <laughs> I was like, no, not me. I'm not stressed. I play the violin. I run. I'm a vegetarian, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so long story short, it turned out that I had irritable bowel syndrome, which is totally stress and anxiety related. And so mm. so that was my first uh, encounter, let's say, with anxiety, not even knowing it. Uh, and so I think, you know, I think anxiety can really be a shapeshifter in, in many ways. Uh, long story short, I went on to get panic attacks uh, during residency and, you know, in, in my psychiatry residency, which was really fun because then, you know, after I'd have a panic attack, I could go down the diagnostic checklist and be like, check, 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 check. Yeah, I just had a panic attack, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and And today I would say, you know, a lot of what I've learned about my own mind has helped me work with anxiety. I certainly get sensations and feelings that come up. But it's I'm much more able to manage and work with it. And um, I, I, you know, I jokingly say, well, you know, I uh, I wrote this book because I was anxious about how to help my patients with anxiety, because, you know, what I learned in medical school and residency was to prescribe medications and the gold standard medications out there. There's this term in medicine called number needed to treat, which gives us a quick and dirty estimate of how well something works. So the higher the number, the worse it is. So with medications, 
that number needed to treat is 5.2, meaning you have to treat five patients before one person shows a significant reduction in symptoms. So you can imagine for five patients come into my office in one day, I don't know which of those five is going to benefit. So I'm basically playing the medication lottery with them. And I don't know what I'm going to do with the other 80%. So I'm getting anxious about how to help my patients with anxiety. (laughs) So those, that's, that's my, you know, my previous and, and I guess current relationship is I've been blown away with what I've learned about my own mind. So I started meditating at the beginning of medical school, first day of medical school. And over the last 25 years, have learned so much about how my mind works and all these twists and turns and serendipity around how anxiety can be driven, uh, that that's where we started developing programs. And then as a researcher, testing them to see how well they can work. And Mm -hmm. long story short, that's why I wrote this Unwinding Anxiety book was to make it accessible, make these, these tools accessible to anyone. Man, I wish you'd been around when I was a teenager with anxiety and no internet and didn't know what it was and was afraid to ask the librarian if they had any books about the brain because I thought she was going to say, oh, I have to call the hospital and you're going to have to live there the rest of your life. Are you perhaps anxious? That's very bad. You know, can you hold for one minute, please? And then she starts whispering. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Okay, so let me get into this. And I want to talk about, obviously, your book and your app. But I have a question about the brain, because you are also a neuroscientist. Is that right? Yes. Okay. First of all, when the hell are our brains going to evolve past this? Because if I hear one more time, oh, it's left over from being a caveman. Well, okay. uh, But when? When will this change? (laughs) When will this default setting to being anxious and overreacting? You know, when? In our lifetime? No. Well, from a genetic perspective, not in our lifetime. From a functional perspective, I think it can happen, uh, you know, this evolutionary process can happen pretty quickly. So you can look at to see how quickly we have learned to use technology as a way to leverage attention, right? So that happened pretty darn quickly, you know, within, you know, 1800s, there were, you know, first researchers showing that animals could learn how to get out of cages by getting a food reward. So that was, you know, late 1800s. That was 120 years ago. And now you can look at social media and how they are totally getting us all addicted to those things. So this process has been understood and people have adapted it to capture our attention. And this has mm-hmm. also driven our anxiety. And so that as soon as we learn how that works, you know, the way I think of it is if we can learn how our minds work, then we can uh, start to work with our minds. And so in that sense, just like, you know, it's capturing our attention, it's capturing our the uncertainty, you know, around, um, I think of it this way, the only certain thing is that there's always going to be uncertainty. So that's not actually something that we want to evolve yep. beyond because that helps us survive. But what we can learn is how that uncertainty drives anxiety And that's something that we can learn to work with within months. You know, for example, my lab's done several clinical studies where we got a 57% reduction in clinically validated anxiety scores in anxious physicians using an app. You know, we did a study with generalized anxiety Mm. disorder. We got a 67% reduction. And there we could actually calculate that number needed to treat. That thing I mentioned earlier, ready for this? So with medications, it's five. With this study, it was 16 so, so it only takes 1.6 people doing this kind of uh, mindful thought 
behavioral work around anxiety to see a result. Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes. That's great. So you can find the guest, Dr. Judd Brewer, on Twitter at all lowercase J-U-D-B-R-E-W-E-R. And you can find host and comedian Jen Kirkman on Twitter at capital J-E-N, capital K-I-R-K-M-A-N. And you can find the show anywhere you listen to soundcasts. But you might want to start with www.iheart.com. And there it went. The first show of November. The first show after Halloween. And we marched steadily on towards December and the end of the year that was 2021. Or rather, still is 2021. How is it that 2021 has been actually somewhat more frustrating than 2020 was? I suppose that's a subjective observation, but I'd be willing to bet that I am not alone in that estimation. Thank you for listening. I do hope you got something out of this brief moment in time and that it was positive. I do hope 2022 is better, but I'm in no hurry to get there. Time moves too fast for my taste lately. Perspective is what it is. Next show is 278, and Mark Hershon is at the wheel, and then presumably I will be back for episode 279. Until then, be decent to each other, try not to spread disease or bad ideas, and if anyone asks you if you have heard anything interesting lately, and it happens to be us that fills in that particular blank for you, won't you do us the utmost of favors and please pass the Succotash? You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, with your host, Tyson Saner. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Rate us and review us at Apple and Google Podcasts. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com. On Spotify. On Stitcher. On iHeartRadio. On YouTube. On SoundCloud. And wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Succotash Show. Like us on Facebook. Email us at tyson at succotashshow.com or call into the Succotash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Succotash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Succotash is executive produced by Mark Hershon. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Succotash goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.